CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than a million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we discuss how this FBI spy recruiter hacked evolutionary psychology to learn to change anyone's behavior. We look at the five steps for strategizing trust, talk about how to get someone's brain to reward them for engaging with you, the vital importance of self-awareness, the power of not keeping score, and much more with Robin Dreek. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. First, you're going to get a curated weekly email from us every single Monday called Mindset Monday, which our listeners have been loving. This is These, these are TED Talks, articles, ideas, things that have us excited, and we want to share them with you. It's super short and easy to digest. Next, you're going to get listener-exclusive content and a chance to shape the show. Vote on guests, change our intro music, vote on guest questions, etc. The new intro that we just recently rolled out was voted on by people who are on our email list. Lastly, and most importantly, you're going to get an awesome free guide that we created based on listener demand. Our most popular guide is called How to Organize and Remember Everything, and you can get it completely for free along with another sweet bonus guide that we're not going to tell you about until you sign up by joining our email list today. Again, you can join it by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're on your phone right now, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we asked, do you have to be ruthless in order to succeed? We examined how compassion is powerfully linked with success. We discussed the essential task of challenging your own worldview and seeking evidence that you disagree with. We talked about learning how to ask great questions and much more with Dr. Chris Cook. If you want to learn more about the power of compassion and how it can make you successful, listen to that episode. Now for the interview. Today, we have another awesome guest on the show. 
Robin Dreek. Robin began his career in law enforcement after serving in the United States Marine Corps. He has directed the behavior analysis program of a federal law enforcement agency and received training and operational experience in social psychology and the science of relationship management. Robin is currently an, FBI, an agent at the FBI and the author of It's Not All About Me and the upcoming book, The Code of Trust. Robin, welcome to the Science of Success. Hey, thanks, Matt. Excited to be here. Excited to be uh, sharing with you and your audience all the great things I've learned in my life, and I'm sure everything that you all have learned in your lives as well. Well, you have an incredible background and story, and, and some of the work you've done at the FBI is fascinating. Would you share kind of your, your journey with the, with the listeners? Yeah, sure, Matt. Um, it's it's actually pretty funny and remarkable, not in the things I've achieved, but because in what I've done with my life and career, completely opposite of what my biological and genetic coding's for. And what I mean is this, and, and you've read part of it, you know, my bio and background. Yes, I'm a Naval Academy graduate, Marine Corps officer. I came into law enforcement and, and the FBI in 1997. I served in New York City, Norfolk, FBI headquarters, Quantico. I ran our behavioral team, all those things, you know, they sound pretty neat on paper and they kind of scream at you hard charging type a but in reality and which i am there's no doubt um, but in reality when you work in the world of counterintelligence like i do um it's completely backwards from the behavior you really need for success and what i mean by that is what i learned when i first got assigned to new york city uh working counterintelligence uh, i was very fortunate that i, I got on a, a squad uh, of individuals that had probably 20, 25 years in the FBI all doing that job. And, and working counterintelligence is different than anything else in the FBI or really in the world. Uh, I, I, it is related mostly anywhere else to sales. You know, I, I basically sell a concept that protecting America is a great idea. And the way I'm going to compensate you for that is through a great relationship with me, mostly not much else, uh, you know, government funding me what it is. It really comes down to, you know, this feeling of patriotism and having a great relationship. That's going to be the inspiration behind why people are going to want to cooperate with you. And also working in counterintelligence, um, it's all leadership because the people that I interact with day in and day out, they don't commit crime. I mean, it's very rare that, you know, my whole main job in New York was to recruit spies. 99.99% um, of the time, they're just getting regular information, open source information, and sourcing it to an individual. So it has value. Um, most of the information, like I said, it's open source. Who it comes from makes it valuable. And the people they interact with are great Americans, you know, or citizens as well. So, you know, the, the challenge is, all right, so if you're a hard charging type A that's used to trying to convince and coerce and manipulate people into giving you things, it doesn't work. It just does not work because, you know, as soon as someone walks away from any engagement with you, think to themselves, wow, I really wonder what he really wanted. You've totally failed because there's a, there's doubt, there's subterfuge, and people are, you know, very, very keen to pick up on these things um, because, what generally happens, and we've all experienced it, whether it's been a, a you know shady car salesman or any other kind of salesman, you know that is actually there for profit and gain to take advantage of you. People pick up on that because there's incongruence between people's words and the things they say, which they might be saying all the all the slick lines, everything really great, but their body language becomes very incongruent with what they're saying, and our our ancient mammalian brain really picks up on these things, and it gives us that creepy feeling. 
Well, when you're actually genuinely make it about everyone else, and that's what the code of trust is about, how to make it about everyone else but yourself. But you have a lot of clarity, you know, the destination that you hope to move to. But you realize that you can only do that through being an available resource to the prosperity of others. And so that's what the whole thing is about. Um, I I did the three years on, on the street. I got on our behavioral team. And again, I, I, I'm not naturally born leader, not naturally born doing this, but I was surrounded by greats that were showing me and modeling the way. And so you learn these things through on-the-job training, osmosis, and, and observation. But what really started happening was uh, I started writing because I was asked to write about it. And when I got down to Quantico, when they started asking me to teach about it, you start making this this art form on, as, it, as it is in a personal art form, a, a paint-by-number. So you start giving labels and meanings of things so people can start recognizing the behaviors they've already been doing. I call it the, the new car effect. And I always get a puzzled look when I say that. But really what it comes down to, you know, the days you buy your new car or any car, all of a sudden you start seeing that vehicle everywhere. I mean, I own a, I own a, a Tundra. The day I bought my Tundra, I swear, I think 300 people in my town bought the same darn truck because it has that label and meaning. So that's all I do is I give labels and meanings to all the behaviors that we do when we're having a great relationship. So you can repeat that behavior and understand also the ones that you've – might have failed at or were more challenged at to understand exactly what you were and weren't during those situations so you can stop doing those behaviors. So uh, that's been the journey. Uh, I, probably the, the Code of Trust came about uh, around 2013. I was running our behavioral team and uh, someone asked me to do an article again on counterintelligence and I said, well, I can't really talk about hooky spooky spy stuff. But I said, ooh, let me talk about what my team does. And I had never really sat down and contemplated, you know, when I sit down and strategize, you know, any kind of operation I'm doing, what am I actually doing? And then I reflected on every instance of my entire life, my career in the Marine Corps, in the Naval Academy, and with my friends, family, kids, I started realizing that, wow, in every encounter, all I'm ever doing is strategizing trust. And I came out with uh, the five steps of trust. And all of a sudden, when I gave myself that green tundra effect, as I call it, or the new car effect, I started seeing the, the, the code of trust everywhere. And it, it's become my guiding light in my life. I, I live it every day, um, and it, it creates it creates amazing prosperity as a byproduct. But if you the core thing of the code of trust is if you focus on yourself, it undermines the entire process. So it really comes down to first and foremost, uh, good healthy relationships, open honest communication, and to be an available resource for the prosperity of others. When you honor those things first, everything else falls into place. So that's kind of a, a brief overview of 40, almost 49 years of my life. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing about, and there's so much to unpack there. There's a number of things I want to ask you about. One of the most fascinating things to me about fields like counterintelligence is that there's, there's no room for error, right? Like these tactics have to work in, in many cases, literally life and death situations. And so I think it's such a beautiful format for, for really, it's almost a crucible for cultivating the absolute most effective strategies for doing something. And, and, you know, you talked about how your old sort of perception of what leadership meant isn't necessarily what actually works and actually changes behavior. Can you tell me about how that, that transformation took place and, and how the old conception of kind of the hard charging, manipulating, pressuring, bullying framework of leadership doesn't really work? Yeah. Absolutely. The 
you know, I mean, my former leadership um, is what I witnessed, you know, the things we witnessed between the ages of nine and 19, you know, really form our generational outlook on the world because our prefrontal lobe is not fully developed yet. So the emotional impresses we have really form how we see the world. And so, you know, during those years, you know, I wanted to go to the Naval Academy. I want to be a Navy pilot, aerospace engineer, an astronaut. You know, my former leadership is what I watched in the movies and TV. And the first movie I saw on leadership that I thought was strong leadership was, you know, was Patton and, uh, you know, screaming at people, yelling, kicking them in the butt, poking them in the eye. I figured leadership was getting people to do what you want. And so that's what I that's the behavior I was modeling. And and at a young age, you know, many people get rewarded for that kind of behavior because, I mean, just think of sports teams you've been on or clubs or or any other kind of position where, you know, an adult or a superior asks you to accomplish something by, you know, with a group of people. And you ask politely all the group of people to do what was asked and no one no one you know goes along with what it is you want them to do and so you now get chastised for being a weak leader now next thing you do is you yell and scream and these people do what you want them to do and now you're rewarded for being a good leader you know so the negative behavior on on convincing and cajoling gets rewarded so you start at a young age thinking that's the way in order to get things done in reality what you just did is you manipulated people uh, through fear and reprisal to to take action and the action they're giving you is probably about five maybe five to ten percent effort just to get you to shut up and go away and when you're and that and that can work fine in in situations where there is a a position of reprisal that people can take against you but again you're not going to get the best out of anyone because you know loathing uh starts seeping in against you and and people are just going to stop performing and that makes the the now leader you know look extremely bad and can't be productive and that leader now thinks well what what's happened why am i not being productive why am no why am i no longer getting promoted well they now think they've gotten soft and so the way to under to undo getting soft they think they have to get harder and so this is where the bully in the workplace starts and that kind of leadership but in reality what i found both in the marine corps and coming in the fbi especially working like you said counterintelligence where you know i get up every day hoping I don't make uh, a mistake and uh, cause myself a humbling moment because every relationship is potentially, you know, helping our national security and protect our country, protect my community. And I don't have the luxury of, you know, making mistakes. I mean, I, I, I'm extremely hypercritical of myself and, and all my conversations and dialogue. So I, I care passionately about not making a mistake. And what I found is, especially when you work in, in the world, as I described to you, there are no criminals, very, very few are criminals. And even if someone is manipulated good naturedly by accident by someone trying to take advantage of them, they're very unwitting that they've even done anything wrong. And so I, in my entire life and career, the last 20 years, I've never made an arrest in the area I've done. I, I've only done things that, you know, hopefully build relationships strong enough so we can garner the information we need to protect our country. And so when people don't have to talk to you and you can't rely on your title and position, you better know what to do. And that's what the other thing I really found out too, is that people do not care about your title and position whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> be FBI in New York city, knock on our front door and, and see what people think about you. If you start showing a badge and everything <laughs> it really comes down to not your title and position, but how you treat them. And if you treat them and talk in terms of their priorities, you validate them, you validate their context, you don't argue um, their point of view on things, and you and you genuinely, and this is the real key to this, you've got to be genuine, sincere about your desire to understand them as a human being and their motivations and priorities in life. Before we get in too deep into that, because I really want to go, go deep down that track, 
Tell me about, you mentioned the importance of, of, of kind of really honest self-awareness and then self-assessment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> as in Marine Corps, there was a uh, the 14th leadership principle I learned was uh, know yourself and seek self-improvement. One of my more humbling aha moments in life was I remember I was uh, stationed at Cherry Point. I was uh, I was in the air wing, but on the ground side. And so we were really bottom heavy. We had a lot of junior officers and I think we had about 14 or 15 of my rank as second lieutenant. And I remember my first assessment, I was ranked last out of them all. And I remember you know, walking up to my major uh, that rated me and saying, all right, I get it. I'm doing something wrong. Wrong. What am I doing? And he, and all he could say was, you just need to be a better leader. And it was very subjective. And so I didn't understand what that meant, but it bothered me. You know, it's like, all right, I am doing something wrong. And, and what I started discovering was, and everyone has this, that what I thought I was projecting to the world was not what the rest of the world was seeing. And, and so taking an honest self-assessment is actually hearing the words people say about you and to you, but really ideally about you, where you can be a fly on the wall and hear people's honest impression of you. And, and this is not a self-loathing or woe is me if you hear something you don't like. It's an assessment of what people see when they see you. And it's funny, the... I often, anytime I bump into someone I knew 25 years ago, I usually give them a big hug and thank them for tolerating me 25 years ago in their lives. And the one thing that I, I've heard, you know, when I apologize for being a self-centered jerk years ago, they said, no, 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 Robin, you were just intense. And I, when I hear something twice, I do an assessment of it. And so I analyze what intense looked like to other people. Intense looked like just me being a good guy to me, because very rarely do people get up in the morning and say, all right, today I'm going to treat people really horribly and be a jerk. But ultimately, that happens sometimes, not because we want to, but because there's this incongruence, again, between what we feel and uh, what's get hijacked that comes out of our mouth because of our ego, vanity, and insecurities. And so I defined that. I looked at intensity and I actually saw what that meant. And it's, it's a typical type A response. And it's, you know, you have something you're trying to achieve, uh, a goal of some sort, a very, a very tangible means goal, I call them, instead of ends goal. Ends goals are states of mind, and I'll tell you more about that later maybe. But a means goal is, you know, I want a promotion. I'm trying to do well on this project. I want a better uh, salary. I want to move. All those things are very, very specific, and we uh, we become so focused on them that we totally disregard, not by intent, but by our genetic design, that anyone else around us is doing anything. And we become wholly focused on what we're trying to do, and again, we're not regarding really people around us that are actually might be working on other things that you're not making yourself available to or, or pretty much ignoring. And you combine that with a tempo that is out of sync uh, with the others around you because, again, you have that, that higher tempo of activity. It really becomes off-putting to other people, and it looks like a narcissistic, megalomaniac jerk. And is that in, is, was that in the heart and soul of the individual, the type A? No. They are totally clueless about this until you actually have those aha moments and listen to the people around you. Take feedback and ask yourself, is that the behavior I want to be exhibiting or not? And if it's not, what can I add to myself to have that behavior stop being that way? And again, especially when you're working in areas and fields where whether you're in sales and doing cold calls or and, and people are already dealing with individuals and companies that give them products and services. So why should they want to go with you? Why should they even listen to you? If you come across with that kind of intensity, people are just going to shut down because you're not really regarding them. You're more focused on what you're trying to do rather than being a resource for others' prosperity. So that was that was probably the, the first time where I, I had that. I, I've had multiple, you know, I think everyone does, you know, multiple moments in your life where you create yourself a humbling moment. 
you know, every day I wake up and I, I hope I don't cause another one that day. I haven't had one in a while. And it's, you know, it's important to keep that ego and vanity in check because when you don't, the mouth will runneth away and you become self-centered and focused. And there's no reason why anyone, any individual should want to listen to you if you're not talking in terms of what's important to them. And I think, you know, that, that segues into one of the other really, really important things that you mentioned and you, and you write and talk a lot about, which is all of these strategies of influence that have that or sorry, not influence. Cause I, we talked about this before the show, but all <laughs> of these strategies have a root in not focusing on yourself and focusing really deeply on the other person. Can you tell me about mm-hmm. the importance of that? And it's all right. You know, the, the influence influence is, is, is important to, to understand how to influence and what influence is. But what I found is, and this is part of where all these things came from, the focusing on others, influence still has a connotation in my mind when, you, when I use the word again, this is purely me. There is no right or wrong. There just is meanings and definitions. It still has a connotation of, of influencing another individual to do something that's in my mind. And when and when you understand, you know, how that works and what's going on there and you want to be more effective at influence, what happens is you start realizing that, wow, I just need to move beyond influence because I need to focus on other people and what their priorities are and, and be a resource for them. Because then then what you do is you start moving into the realm of inspiration. And when you're in, in the realm of inspiration, it's completely about the other person. So here's how this process works and, and why it's important. Individuals, you know, you go back to ancient tribal man where, you know, tribes of 30, 40 or 50, it was the first form of social welfare, healthcare, and survival. If you were not part of a tribe, the likelihood of your genetic coding being passed on was extremely low. So our brain rewards us for being valued and part of a collective and a group and a tribe. And so if we use language that demonstrates value and demonstrates that we are vested in you and your prosperity, however you dis- however that individual defines prosperity, they're, they're naturally going to keep listening to you and keep regarding you and, and want to collaborate because it's, it's in their best name nature because it's in their best interest to do so. And so, you know, when I'm, anytime I I have a project or something, again, this isn't, you know, you can make it all about someone else and many people in life do, but they then get accused of being a carpet and being walked over. Well, that's where the code of trust comes in and, and make sure that doesn't happen in the sense that the first step in a code of trust is understanding what your goals and priorities are, what it is you're trying to accomplish. But the second part of that first question of what's your goal is reversing it now and think in terms of, so why should someone want to? And, and here's the difference between that, that influencing and manipulating or anything like that, people then start thinking, how can I make them want to do that? Or how can I influence them to do that? What the code of trust is and what I'm talking about in order to make it about the other person is I don't think about that at all. I start reversing. I think I think in terms of how can I inspire them to want to? That's the key. Because if I'm thinking in terms of inspiring someone to take action, because I know what my goals are. I give myself my, my own new car effect by naming and stating the things I'm hoping to achieve. And now I completely let go of those because I reverse it. Just like you don't have to try to see the car once you bought it. You just see it. That's why giving labels and meanings to things that are important to you, that's all you have to do. You don't have to try to make an effort because if you make an effort on your own behalf – you're now manipulating or influencing or anything else because it's all about you and you're only slightly regarding another person. I let go of it. It's got label and meaning. Now I reverse it. I think in terms of how can I inspire someone to maybe align with me in order to inspire someone. I have to know what their priorities are long-term, short-term, personal, professional. I have to talk in terms of those priorities. I have to demonstrate their value and I demonstrate value by four really simple statements. I always include in conversations, emails. I'm going to seek thoughts and opinions. 
Because when I demonstrate that I'm seeking your thoughts and opinions, I'm demonstrating you have value. Human beings do not ask other human beings what they think unless there's they, they have value. So when you do that, people's brains are rewarded with dopamine because you're demonstrating their affiliation. When they're affiliated, that means it's good for their survival. Dopamine is released in the brain, oxytocin, serotonin. All the pleasure centers are firing because you're demonstrating value and you're demonstrating affiliation. So next, I'm also going to talk in terms of their priorities. If I don't know what their priorities are, I'm going to ask them what are their priorities. Next, I'm going to validate them. And validation, it's it's a beautiful, very, very broad term that demonstrates that you're trying to understand without judgment the human being you're engaging with. It doesn't mean you necessarily agree because this isn't about agreeing with and just placating. This is about validation, which means understanding. And finally, I empower you with choice. Again, we do not give people choice unless we value them and um, there's affiliation. Now, here's the fun part. If I know what your priorities are and I make myself available resource for your priorities and your prospects, and I already know what mine are because I've already labeled them before I even engage. When I empower someone with choice, I'm empowering them with choice with naturally overlapping priorities, mine and theirs. And then it's up to them whether they accept it or not. And if they don't, that's fine too because it's all about them, their timing, their perspective. And here's what I can guarantee. I can absolutely guarantee you if I know exactly what your priorities are, as, again, as I said again, long-term, short-term, personal, professional, and I'm making resources available for you, your success and prosperity in those areas, I guarantee you're going to take that action. There hasn't been a time yet when it hasn't. And now what happens is is what most time triggers is that there's the need to, to reciprocate by other individuals uh, that you're a resource for their prosperity. You can't keep a scorecard. You know, one of my things I love to say is leaders don't keep scorecards because then there's an expectation of reciprocity and then you really did it for you and not them. I don't keep a scorecard. I, I, I give, I let go, and I just I just wait. I just wait. And it's really been pretty ridiculous when you honor um, the core of the code, which is that healthy, professional, or happy relationship, and you're an open, uh, open you know, uh, honest communications, everything falls into place. It just it, – it flows very, very easily. And the more you create these healthy relationships with more and more people, they actually have – a, and it's also a very calming effect on your own mind because you can't – really engage people successfully if you're emotionally hijacked all the time, you know, stress, anger, discontentment, resentment, frustration, all those things cloud our judgment. The code of trust clears the cloud and you can actually objectively see exactly path to where you're trying to go and more importantly, where others are trying to go. And one of the things you touched on, and, there's, and again, there's so many things I want to dig into from that, but one of the things you touched on was this idea that in, in the counterintelligence world, in many cases, people either don't want to reach out to you or explicitly are trying to avoid contacting you and you have to almost reverse engineer them wanting to reach out to you. Can you talk about that strategy and, and more broadly about the strategy of, of, of getting someone's brain to reward them for engaging with you? I'll start with your last question first because it'll, it'll be easier to answer the first. And if I if I lose track of it, because as you can tell me, I can talk forever about this and I'll, I get sidetracked in my own brain on it. So I apologize if I do. So the, the goal for me at every engagement with everyone is to get their brain to reward them chemically for engaging with you. And we've already covered how that works. You know, if you demonstrate value and you demonstrate affiliation and you understand someone's priorities and you talk in terms of their priorities and you and even more importantly, if you have resources for them to move forward on those priorities and their own prosperity as they define it, their brain is going to reward them. Guaranteed. I guarantee you shields will be down. There will be no resistance and there'll be a great dialogue uh, and conversation. 
And where it goes from there is really up to them and their tempo. And so that it's a very simple concept that I just keep in my mind is that, you know, what does every human being I'm engaging with, what do they need, want and dream of? And just make sure that I'm talking in terms of those things. Oh, and honesty is really the key to this, too, because if you're making stuff up, do people pick up on that? Absolutely. You know, and that's where you get start get that incongruence of of, you know, the, the mind and the heart and, and the mouth of what's going on. So when I do, when I do validation, like I'll, I only start out conversations, especially if they're going to be a little more challenging than others, or if it's a brand new person I'm meeting, I, I always start out with a specific non-judgmental validation of a strength attribute or action that I've, I've witnessed um, in their life or in immediate time or anything. And if I have nothing to validate in that opening statement, the biggest thing I'm going to do is I'm going to validate their time because people's time is very valuable and to have them share it with me. I'm, I am beyond grateful for it. So if I have nothing that I can validate at the start, I'm going to validate the time because, again, I'm just very grateful for it. So now now translating that into, you know, working in counterintelligence, it, to me, it's really working anywhere that, you know, sometimes you can deal with people um, that might not want to have a relationship with you. And that's completely OK. Matter of fact, one of the most challenging, you know, every now and then you hit these situations where, you know, you got a cold call to try to you know, get a piece of information or just a question answered on something and people do not want to engage with you. So the first thing I do in those situations is I validate that, yeah, I can honestly, I understand how you don't want to deal with someone like me from the United States government. I completely understand. If you want me to leave you alone, uh, if you just respond to this and tell me to leave you alone, I'll do it. But if not, if you can provide this and then here's the reason why I'd like that, it might be of a help to others. If that's something that interests you, let me know. Again, just respond to me if you don't want me to engage you and I'll leave you alone. That way I at least get a response. And what am I, what did I just do? I talked in terms of them, their priorities, because what's their priority? Leave me alone. Again, I don't judge. You can't judge whether that priority is aligned with yours or not. Who cares? It's all about them. And that those are the ones that are, are resistant. But in all honesty, the the times that happens are exceptionally rare, exceptionally rare, because, again, if you're talking in terms and figuring out what someone's needs, wants, dreams and aspirations are a personal professional. And you're talking in terms of those, you're seeking to understand those, you're validating those, and you and you bring to, to bear resources to further those for them. Why wouldn't they talk to you? The only reason they wouldn't is either they lied about their priorities, their subterfuge, or some other thing that they didn't make you aware of. And so, again, it's not what you did or didn't do. It's all on them. And and it's not going to be a very good relationship anyway because they don't want one. So why force it? You know, you can save a lot of time and just – Break contact, you know, and also and then even in those instances, you got to leave them feeling better for having met you and having engaged with you those brain rewards and why branding branding is everything. You know, I have no problem if someone tells me they don't want to talk or don't want to share or don't want to cooperate because you know what, if not you, it'll be someone else and I'll, and I'll never get another one else if you break contact with me and and you and I ruined your day. I mean, just think about this, you know, so say you met me and we had a conversation nine to 10 o'clock in the morning and it went horrible. I, I, I tried to convince you of things. I could try to cajole you, try to manipulate you. And you just walked away feeling horrendous. Whether you even talked about me or not for the rest of the day, it put you in a bad mood. And now everyone you touch in your entire sphere of influence that entire day or even a couple of days, maybe a week, maybe a month, who knows? They're, they're touching you and seeing, you know, 
stress, anxiety, all the all the negative emotions you caused, and it leaks out where it came from. It came from this engagement with this Robin guy. Now, and contrary to that, if I leave you feeling better for having met me and I made you feel great for the conversation, your brain's rewarding you, I demonstrated your value, I'm talking in terms of your priorities, even if you say no, you don't want to cooperate or, or have a relationship or if you're in sales, you know, buy what you're selling, and if you're completely fine with that and you let it go, now for the rest of the day, weeks, month again, someone's leaving the engagement with you with very positive emotions in a great state of mind, and people like to feel that way. And so they're going to start seeing that. And so you, in other words, you cause the calming effect here. It's going to cause a calming effect in their entire sphere of influence. And again, that goes to branding. So I never think ever about just the one person I'm engaging with. I think about their entire sphere of influence from that point on. And I always want good branding. And again, if someone doesn't want to engage, that's fine. And it's funny because when you empower people with choice with walking away and not dealing with you, you know how many times I've actually had someone walk away and not want to deal with me? Zero so far since the code of trust. And why? Because I keep talking in terms of them. People love, I mean, think about this. On, on average, you know, think to yourself, how many times a day do you hear words in every single statement that someone says that are completely about you? And meaning, is someone asking your thoughts and opinions? Is someone talking in terms of your priorities? Is someone empowering you with choice? Is someone validating your thoughts, ideas, and context of how you see the world in every single statement you say? No. I mean, on average, I think even the, our closest friends and, and family maybe do it two to five percent a day. You know, when you actually do that in a hundred percent of the time when you're engaging someone, and so every statement coming out of your mouth, their brain is rewarding them for you uh, for being around you. Why wouldn't they want to be around you? And so one of the core principles of inspiring people is, is the idea you just talked about, which is essentially this notion that if you focus really deeply on other people, making your statements about them, speaking in terms of their priorities, seeking out their thoughts and opinions, in, in a very biological sense, their brain is releasing hormones and chemicals that are making them like you, want to engage with you, and want to be mm -hmm. part of what you're doing. 100%. And again, it goes, you know, evolutionary psychology, you know, the, the ancient tribal brain, it's rooted in us. I mean, I, the best analogy I can give to, you know, without, you know, going into, uh, you know, the I think it was uh, April around 2012 that Harvard did a study where they actually wired up people's brains and saw that when people were talking about themselves and their priorities, dopamine was released. But the easy, easiest demonstration you can do of this is I always ask this question when I'm dealing with a, a crowd that I'm engaging with in training. I always ask, how many of you have actually traveled overseas for pleasure? A lot of hands go up. I said, great. What happens when you bump into another American? And without fail, you know, everyone starts smiling and laughing. And yeah, because what you initially do is you ask, well, where are you from? And if they're from anywhere even near your state, you, you start collaborating and thinking about things that you've been doing in the same areas. You start thinking about places you might have traveled in the same time frame. Then you actually start talking about, do you know so-and-so? You keep trying to build linkages because your brain is saying, ah, someone from my tribe, and it brings comfort. So we keep trying to build that comfort. That's why when you, you know, go any place, you know, and you're taking training or you're given a conference or even in a crowd, we, we generally coalesce into our, our mini tribes. You know, when I give training to law enforcement or something, all the different departments, they sit together. You don't have to tell people where to sit. People clump together according to their comfort and their tribe.
it's just it's a natural human reaction. And so knowing that, you know, you can actually use your language to demonstrate that affiliation. I mean, that's what people do all the time. I mean, every time someone shares a story or an anecdote, which is most of life when engaging, all you're doing is demonstrating value and demonstrating affiliation. And, and people just are so anxious to tell their side of the story, to tell the thing that they did on the weekend because they're seeking that validation and acceptance as well. They're not even listening to anyone else. They're just waiting for people to shut up so that they can tell their story again because the brain is saying, go, 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 go. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. You also mentioned that that you never lie to anybody. It's it's funny because we've a previous guest who you may be familiar with is a gentleman named Chris Voss. Oh, I know Chris well. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah he's a hostage negotiator for the FBI yep. for a long time, and he had the same principle. His was a little bit different, which was never lie to anyone that you're not going to kill. Um, <laughs> but I find it I find it fascinating that someone who you know is in the counterintelligence world who recruited spies essentially, you never lie to anyone. 
Yes. Now I don't ever lie because it, it's – I mean if you're – so let me first just, um, describe uh, – I define manipulation because uh, understanding manipulation first because I think people can agree if someone's discovered to have been, been attempting to manipulate you, it, it destroys trust, does it not? Yeah, it does. And so I then define what manipulation is. Manipulation is an attempt of control with use of subterfuge, lies, and deception. Because some people do need to control certain situations, but if you do so openly and honestly, explaining why, if you do have time, but if you have trust established, that's no problem. But it's, it's the use of deception that really can blow trust. Because as soon as it's, it's, as it's discovered, you will never have it again. And I've done a lot of undercover work, when I was, especially when I was in New York. And undercover work is lying. And I remember thinking to myself you know, at the time, oh, these are genuine relationships. These are real and true. And to me, they were. But they were based on a lie. And as soon as they were discovered, you know, there was no trust and never would ever be again. So all the things I've come to believe uh, and I live now with the code of trust, it's an evolution. You know, did I have to do those types of things in the past? Sure, because it helped me understand the cause and effect of of if you actually are using deception anyway. Um, you can have very short-term gains if you need to. And again, I'm not judging the right or wrong in any of these things because there isn't. There's just a very, very causal effect in every single action. I can guarantee you if you lie and use manipulation when when discovered, and it will be at some point, whether it's today, tomorrow, or when you die, <laughs> when, if, when it's discovered, trust will be extinguished. And the likelihood and probability of ever coming back is slim to none. So that's why I just don't do it. It's just a complete waste of my time because, you know, Chris is so funny, such a good guy, but he's got such mad skills, doesn't he? Another guy, uh, Robert Caldini, wrote a book, Influence. And one of the principles in his that just is so sound and so easy to follow, as well as the code of trust, is if you, you've got to answer three things uh, in the first engagement with anyone is who you are, what you want, and when you're leaving. And if you're using deception, any of those things, you have no trust. And it's just I also remember sitting on consults as well when we're, you know, talking with case agents, trying to come up with strategies for them to engage people. Remember, it's great to come up with these great outlandish, you know, undercover operations and using all these different resources. But in reality, you know, working in whether you're in a company or, or in the government or anywhere, you know, the number of resources that you have allocated to you are generally pretty slim. So as simple and easy as you can make it for another person to enact a, a, a strategy for developing a relationship and trust, the better. And so that's why I am straight up honest with you from the get-go. And and if I can't tell you something, I tell you exactly why I can't tell you. Again, open and honest because it's – anything else will just backfire on you, whether it's today or tomorrow. And then and, and then it's branding. You lie and deceive someone. You try to convince and cajole and manipulate in any way. Once that's found out, what's that do to your branding? You're done. I think you made a really, really good point, which is that you're not judging whether these strategies are right or wrong. It's, it's only a question of what are the most effective strategies and, and these happen to be some of the most effective ways to change or impact people's behavior. Because one of the core uh, principles of the code of trust is you know, to not judge, be non-judgmental. And because as soon as I start judging someone else's behavior or the things they do, what goes up? Shields. You know, they don't want to engage with me. They start judging me because they think I'm not affiliating or, or valuing their tribe and their input or anything like that. And that is counterproductive to the code of trust. So it's just understanding, you know, the 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 cause and effect of how you're going to engage with a human being. Because again, go keep I keep going back to what does every human being on the face of this planet is long again, as long as you fall within normal parameters of human behavior, you don't have too many 
any malformations of brain, chemical imbalances, and you start you know edging up towards the fringes. Every human being seeks and craves non-judgmental validation and acceptance for who they are, their thoughts, opinions, ideas, and how they see the world. If you don't demonstrate that through your language, their shields are going to be partially up. If you don't demonstrate that at all, their shields are going to be completely up. They're not going to hear any words you're saying. If you dishonor you know, their priorities, if you use deception, I guarantee you're going to blow trust. And there isn't any instance in life, even driving a, down a highway where you're trusting the other person in the opposite direction is going to hit you. Everything in life where you're dealing with another human being, you have to have some semblance of trust. So why not maximize it the best you can for every situation? Because it costs you nothing to do. I mean, I mean, talk in terms of someone else's priorities, not arguing their, their context with them, not judging them. What's it actually cost you? It costs you nothing. So why not do that? I mean, it's I, one of the questions I love asking law enforcement when I do this uh, training. I always start out, you know, with law enforcement. Hey, all right. How many of you all in the audience have ever gotten a criminal to confess? And all the hands go up. I said, great. Why did they confess to you? Is it because you sat across that table and judged what they did? All heads start shaking. No, I said, yeah, that's right. And what did you do? You actually sat there. You you help them rationalize what they did. You help project the blame if you can. You help them minimize the impact of what they did. And then you talked in terms of their priorities and options. And you talked in terms of what their choices were. And you made yourself, you were the available resource for them to be able to facilitate those options and priorities. And so you didn't judge. And and so all the hands are not saying, oh, yeah, that's what I was doing. I said, all right, so why do we do anything else with anyone else in our lives? It really is that simple. You, if you just know how to make it about everyone else, again, with those four statements that I build in um, to every, everything I say or write, why not? It act, it costs nothing to make it about other people, and it, it's really the simplest thing in the world. And and especially so, I mean, the last thing I'll say about this is, you know, people ask me all the time. So, Robin, you know, if if you if your dopamine's released again, oh, I didn't mention this before. You know, for, roughly forty percent of every day, we spend talking about our own thoughts, ideas, and priorities. They found that through that same research about the dopamine flow. And if you take your forty percent and give it over to someone else, you are now doubling. The, the potential for developing a relationship and trust. And someone once asked me, well, Robin, if you take your 40% and give it over, when do you get your dopamine hit? I said, ah, oh, that's really easy. What happens when you achieve goals? And they said, yeah, dopamine hit. I said, yeah, and what if your goal is to be an available resource for the prosperity of others? That's where leadership, where they always say leaders make it about everyone else. Very subjective thing to say, unless you actually understand the steps to it. This is the steps to it. And when you make it about everyone else and you're an available resource for their prosperity, whether and again, don't keep a scorecard, but you understand where your destination is as well. You sensitize them to your priorities. If they eventually want to reciprocate or not, up to them. That's what exactly happens. So tell me a little bit about you. You talked about non-judgmental awareness or non-judgmental validation. Tell me, how can we kind of cultivate that ability to be non-judgmental? It's hard. My, someone laughed at me once. They said, Robin, only you could write a book. You know, for my first one, 10 Techniques to Quick Rapport, and the next one, The Code of Trust. I said, why is that? And I said, because you're the only one who could actually articulate how not to be you. Because <laughs> I started out life, you know, especially at the Naval Academy, so extremely judgmental. You know, we're, we're, we're taught at a very young age to judge everyone, you know, our, our parents, and rightly so. You know, our parents, you know, get us to be safe in, in life, you know, first nine, ten years of our lives by teaching us morals, ethics, and our moral code of, and our compass, personal compasses, you know, according to them and according to how they judge the world around you. And everyone's got a different one. 
the the hard thing is is to get beyond that. I mean, it was forced on me because of work. You know, I mean, every time something happens in the world, and I'm go and I'm told to go out and interview a bunch of people from that country, that region, that belief system. You know, if I go in with prejudging what I think of them and their point of view and their beliefs or anything else, what's the likelihood I can inspire them to want to share information? They won't. I guarantee you, they won't. And so, you know, my, my saying I use, you know, I'll never take a side, you know, because once you take a side, half the world's going to line up against you. And that goes against the code of trust. The thing I do is and because as, as a learned trait was to not judge, but to seek to understand. And that's what validation is. So everyone in this world has a very, very firm belief in the things they believe in. And there's a reason they do find out that reason, because most of the time when you start digging deep without judging how they came across, how they came about feeling the way they feel, what you start getting is context. And when you get context of how the other person sees the world through their optic, that's when tolerance starts rising incredibly. And so you start understanding different points of view, different visions of, of, of the way they think things should be. And again, what are you doing when you're doing that? You're validating what's validating. You're demonstrating value and you're demonstrating affiliation. Again, it has nothing to do with agreeing with someone. You can people don't people aren't really necessarily looking to be agreed with. They're looking to be heard. And when you're doing these things, what are you doing? You're hearing their point of view without challenging it in any way. And and I think it goes hand in hand with this. But another one of the core principles that, that you write about and we talked about earlier in the conversation is suspending your ego. How, mm. You know, as someone you, you sort of self-describe as somebody who's very type A, hard charging. How were you able to suspend your ego and kind of put it on the back burner uh, to be able to implement some of these strategies? A few things I got, like I think many people get, you know, you get sick of being angry, you get sick of being frustrated, you get sick of, you get, you get sick of all the negative emotions. And then when I sat back and analyzed, well, what was causing this emotion? What, why was I feeling this way? You start understanding it was actually you that caused those situations because you know, what causes stressful con- confrontation with someone else? Easy. You're arguing a point of view. You, Someone wants you to do something. You don't think you should do it that way. I want to do it this way. Well, what are you actually doing? It's your ego and vanity getting in the way because you think you're better than someone else. You think you're more important. You think your opinion matters more. What a bunch of hogwash. You know, so, so when I decided that I no longer wanted to be frustrated with life, combined with the fact that you know, I started learning that the more you're talking about yourself and what's important to you, most people do not care whatsoever. So how is that working out for me? So you combine those two things together and you start realizing, wow, it was my ego and vanity. It was actually my hindrance all alone, not the people around me. It was completely 100% me. I call the code of trust flawless because the code of trust is completely flawless because when you honor those three things, as I said, open, honest communication, uh, happy, healthy relationships and available resources to prosperity of others. And it, the code of trust becomes flawless. The only thing that causes it to derail itself is when your ego and vanity get in the way, because as soon as I mean, even so here, here's a, here's a, a trapping of the code you will have. And I have had, you know, amazing successes, because of living the code of trust. And what happens is if all of a sudden you say, oh, look, I can, I got this stuff down now. I can wield the power of the code, you know, for my benefit. Well, what did you just do? Your ego and vanity got in the way and you start using it for self gain. I guarantee you the, the code will derail immediately. So what were you able to do to kind of put your ego in check? So it's a checklist. So once you understand what you do when you get emotionally stressed and whatever emotion is, your negative emotion you have, recognize it 
And as soon as I, because what's happening is when you get stressed, you know, fight or flight kicks in and you go into survival mode. And when you do, that's when the mouth starts running without cognating uh, what's coming out of it. We get defensive, we get insecure, whatever it is, you know, the mouth starts running. And it's ve- and usually the statements coming out are very, very egocentric statements, again, which are not inspiring trust in anyone. So the way to overwrite that and not get into emotional hijacking where you're hitting fight or flight is to immediately recognize when you're getting emotionally hijacked. So understand what behaviors you do. For me, my, my, my assertiveness spikes when I get emotionally stressed. And so as soon as I recognize it, I immediately go to the code of trust. And so what I do, in the, and I say to myself, then the, you know, the, the core of the code is happy, healthy relationships, open house communication and available resources for prosperity about this. So I then ask myself, as soon as I recognize the emotional hijacking is what I'm about to say and do and coming out of my mouth going to help or hinder those core principles of the code of trust. And if they're going to hinder it, I shut up. And again, that's my re- that's my regulatory way of of maintaining cognitive thought and maintaining the statements and everything I'm doing completely about them. And what what happens is is like anything in life, you, you do something or you keep repeating behaviors, you build muscle memory for it. And it just doesn't happen anymore because I, I I so I become so finely sensitive to to negative emotions. I I rapidly will won't do them and I identify the, the causal point of it and I eliminate it because it, you know one one another reason why I do it and, and why ego is such a underminer of the code is especially with leadership is leaders are about everyone else and one of the things that leaders do is they're very empathetic. Um, great leaders are very empathetic and the code of trust is very empathetic all the ways we've talked about interacting with another human being is all about the other person which creates great empathy but if you get emotionally attached to other people's decisions you start riding the roller coaster with them and leaders don't leaders maintain objectivity and that's and that's what this this little technique i just told you does when i can recognize emotional hijacking it allows me to pull back and go back to the code and when i go pull back and go back to the code it allows me to maintain objectivity so i can see and be compassionate about the destination you're trying to go to but i'm being objective about the question I can ask you to help you discover your path because that's another thing that's really key in the code too is you know I don't give a get, give advice or guidance ever I ask a lot of what I call discovery questions discovery questions are questions that I that naturally come to mind when you know someone's destination you're trying to go to and you're objective about it I just ask questions simple like I ask myself how's that how's the action you're going to take going to help or hinder where you're trying to go so it's it's a uh, it's it helps yourself and it helps others to maintain that objectivity because you have an ability because of this technique to keep yourself from getting emotionally hijacked and suspending your ego. And and just so listeners can get a sense one more time, would you share just briefly kind of the, the core principles of the code of trust? Sure. I, I articulate them different ways. So I'm, I'm going to give you the five principles of trust. And then I'm going to tell you, if, if, if you have a second, the the three things I honor in it. And so uh, the five principles very easily are suspend your ego. And we talked about that. Second is be non-judgmental, And we talked about that. Uh, three is honor reason. And honoring reason is basically how you keep from your ego getting involved in things and, and being objective. That's what that is. Validation of others. And we talked about that. And, and finally, five is being generous. And that's ma- where you're making yourself an available resource sort of prosperity of others without keeping a scorecard. Those are the five principles of trust and how to make it about someone else. But but the, the core of the code that 
that I, I live in honor are, are those three things. Happy, healthy relationships. I do and say everything that's congruent with those. Open, honest communication is the honesty factor. And the third is an available resource for the prosperity of others. Those are the, the three things I honor above all. And if something gets in the way of it, a material thing in some way or anything else, I will, I will never, ever ruin a relationship over a thing with anyone. I will always let go of the thing and honor the, the relationship first. What would be uh, kind of a piece of homework or a starting point you would give to somebody listening that wants to concretely implement some of these ideas? Great question. There, there's two things I think will keep people on the path they are if they're doing things really well in their lives and they can reflect on why their relationship's going well and then think about the times when you've had some challenging ones. And and, and this is very simple. The first thing I like to do is I, I love discovering the greatness in others. In other words, don't focus your time on trying to figure out what people are doing wrong and, and commenting on it and gossiping about it. Just focus on their greatness. Every, every human being has got greatness somewhere from their perspective, whether it's work-related or personal-related. You know, Find their greatness. Take time to discover it. And the second thing I would do, practice this with everyone, and I guarantee you relationships are going to start um, blooming with much greater trust. Find out what other people's priorities are in their lives, their challenges, their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations. If you take time and do this without judging them either, take time to figure out what someone else's priorities are. I'm telling you, who doesn't want to talk to you? Someone who's actually interested in the things that are important to them. You do those two things, and I guarantee you, you're going to start uh, inspiring trust around you. And where can listeners find you and the books online? My book's on Amazon. You know, my first book, It's Not All About Me, is on Amazon and a few other places. My one coming out, The Code of Trust, will be absolutely everywhere. But you can you can get links to them as well as you know my Twitter feed and as well as LinkedIn on my f- uh, website, which is www.peopleformula.com, all one word, People Formula. And my uh, Twitter handle is rdreek, just R D R E E K E. Things I post, you know, I, I don't you know I, I don't self-aggrandize on these things. If I see great research and great ideas um, by others, um, those are the things I do. I'm not the guy that's going to wear you out with with a overwhelming amount of, of tweets or anything. A couple, couple of months that are inspiring uh, as life comes along. But also, you know, I take any questions that anyone wants as well. That's it. Well, Robin, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing all this wisdom. You have a fascinating background and story, uh, and I think it's amazing what lessons have come out of uh, your vast experience. Matt, I can't thank you enough. You guys, you asked some really great deep questions, and I thank for the time because, yeah, it's a uh, compiling a, an entire lifetime of learning to onto uh, a couple minutes is not all that easy. But you did a great job of uh, of getting it out of me, so I appreciate that, and I appreciate you sharing it with your listeners as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. First, you're going to get an awesome free guide that we created based on listener demand called How to Organize and Remember Everything, which you can get completely for free along with another awesome bonus guide that's a surprise by joining the email list. Next, you're going to get an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday. This includes articles, 
TED Talks, videos, things that are top of mind for us that we find really exciting in the world of evidence-based growth. Lastly, you're going to get the chance to vote on and shape the show, impact our guests, change our intro music, and much more. The new intro we recently rolled out was voted on by listeners who are on our email list. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes. That helps more and more people discover the science of success. Every single review, every single subscription makes a huge impact in the iTunes algorithm, and we would appreciate every single one that you give us. And don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information in this episode, links, transcripts, everything we discussed, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get them at successpodcast.com by hitting the show notes button at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.